Well, welcome to the crossing. Good to see you today. I'm glad you made it out in this terrible, terrible weather to uh, make it to church today. Well, on Tuesday, I go to Israel. Uh, Darla and I are leading a trip of about 40 people from the crossing to go to Israel. And I tell you that for two reasons. Number one, I want to ask that you pray for us. So if you think about us this week, would you just pray just that we have a great, great week? And number two is I want you to go with us. We do this trip every couple years, and I would love the next time we go to Israel for you to go. Maybe it's on your bucket list. Let me tell you, when you walk in the footsteps of Jesus, you will never read the Bible the same. It is a life-changing experience. We'd love for you to go. And next Sunday when I'm gone, our friend Mike Bro is going to be here. Mike is one of our favorite guest speakers, and so he's going to be here. You're not going to want to miss next week or the week after. Well, last week we started this series that we're calling Fight. That if you want a great family, you have to fight for it. You have to fight for your marriage. You have to fight for your kids. You have to fight some personal battles that you have in your own life. We're basing this series title off of a scripture in the Old Testament. When the children of Israel were in Jerusalem and they were under attack, Nehemiah came to the children of Israel and he said to them, he says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Well, last week we looked at the foundational principle of every strong family, that great families practice mutual submission. The great families practice mutual submission, and we learned one question to ask. What can I do to help you? That if you will learn to ask this question, it changes the dynamic of your relationships. It'll change the dynamic of your family. What can I do to help you? Well, today, we are talking about conflict. And wherever there is a family, there is bound to be a fight that breaks out. My family was in California a couple years ago for a, for a family graduation, and our entire family was there. Our moms were there, brothers and sisters, nieces and nephews, our kids, and we went out to lunch at Chick-fil-A. So we order this great big lunch at Chick-fil-A. We get our order, and they messed up one of our sandwiches. They gave us the wrong sandwich, and so I was getting ready to go trade it in for the right sandwich, and Darla said, just leave that here. Somebody will eat it. Just go buy another sandwich. I go, well, well that's a waste. Why would I do that? I'm just going to go trade it. And she said, just, just leave it here. Somebody's going to want that. And I'm like, that's ridiculous to me. I, I don't understand. And then I get the look, and I'm like, yes, I'll go buy another sandwich. <laughs> well, later on, she, she takes me off to the side, and she said, I was just afraid that you were going to make people feel uncomfortable about a $5 sandwich. Well, at that moment, I just lost it. I said, I have paid for every meal of every person. I paid for plane tickets. I paid for hotel rooms. I paid for gas. And now you're calling me cheap? <laughs> it was not one of my better moments. And maybe you've had a meltdown like that. How would you fill in this blank? How would you fill in this blank? You plus who equals conflict. You plus who equals conflict. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's an ex-spouse. Maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's a, a co-worker, a boss. Maybe it's that neighbor that you can't stand who lives next door to you. Maybe it's your sibling or, or an in-law. Someone in your world that just brings conflict. And for most of us, you are either in it right now or you're going to be in it. 
If you have relationships, you have conflict. Jesus said this. Jesus says, where two or more are gathered together, there I am in their midst. That's absolutely true. But I have a quote of my own. Where two or more are gathered together, there will be conflict of many kinds. I mean, isn't that true? That every relationship, it deals with bumps in the road. But when it comes to family dynamics, when it comes to family relationships, when you win an argument in your family, you don't really win anything. See, if you win an argument at work, I mean high five. If you win an argument in the courtroom or in the boardroom, you get a reward for that. But when you win an argument in the living room or the bedroom, there's no reward. There's no win. That you might feel good because you out-argued the other person, but you didn't win. Because the conflict is, is not really resolved. There's no resolve that conflict in family is unlike conflict anywhere else. And part of what makes it difficult is we all handle conflict in different ways. Some of you are conflict enjoyers. You enjoy a good fight. In fact, there is never a fight that you don't enjoy. And after the fight, I mean, you feel so much better. When you get it out there, I mean, you just are, you feel so much better. And then some of you are conflict avoiders. And those of you who are conflict avoiders, you tend to marry conflict enjoyers. <laughs> you will go out of your way to avoid conflict. You will do whatever it takes to, de to deny that a conflict even exists. You just want everyone to be happy. Well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Romans chapter 12. Because today we're going to talk about how to fight fair. And we're going to look at the greatest principle in the Bible talking about conflict resolution. I think it's the greatest principle in the Bible. And then we're going to talk about the process to put it into practice. How do you put the teachings of Jesus into practice in your life? See, the Apostle Paul is going to give us the goal of conflict. See, the goal of conflict is not just to live with it. It's not to avoid it. It's not even to win at it. But Paul says there is a goal to conflict, that if you will walk through the steps of conflict, that there is a goal that we can shoot for. And this scripture right here is one of the most important scriptures in my life when it comes to dealing with this. I'll bet I quote this scripture nearly every day. When I'm talking to people who are dealing with conflict in their relationships, I, I quote this scripture. I quote this to my kids when they're dealing with difficult relationships that I believe that this scripture right here has the power to change the way that we handle conflict. Well, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I want us to say this out loud because I want this to be in your memory. Let's say this together. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Here's the goal. is to live at peace. Paul says that the goal of conflict is that peace would come out of it. And I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, okay, easier said than done, Paul, because obviously you didn't have my in-laws. You know, obviously you didn't have a roommate like I have a roommate. But it's the two things that Paul says before this that have the potential of changing the way that you approach this conflict. He says, if it is possible, live at peace with everyone. Meaning, it might not be possible. 
meaning I have tried to live at peace with them, and it just doesn't seem to be working out. If it is possible, you should try to live at peace with everyone. And Paul is talking about personal experience because Paul had conflicts with different people. We read about that. And Paul's saying the good news is it may be possible. The bad news is it may never be possible. But the pursuit of peace, even without the promise of peace, is not a pointless pursuit. It's not a waste of time to pursue peace. Well, it's this second phrase where Paul kind of puts all the chips on the table. He's going all in. He says, this is what it's all about right here. Where he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. Why does he say you? Because in a relationship that is characterized by conflict, where do we spend all of our energy? It's on them. It's on the other person. All of our energy is directed towards them. If they would change, if they would stop doing what they're doing, if they would just get over themselves, then we would all be better off. Well, I talked about a concept in in our freeway series that sometimes when I'm talking to families, I will just get out a piece of paper and I will just draw a circle for them. And this circle, it represents the conflict in a relationship. This represents marriage problems represents parenting problems. And what I'll always say to him is, now I want you to draw a slice of the pie that represents your piece of this. What is your part of the problem? Because if, if we have the whole problem here, what part of this is you? That maybe your portion is not that big. Maybe your portion, when you come to it, I mean, it's just really, really small. It's like itty-bitty. You barely own any of this. Well, whenever I do this, No one wants to to put a slice of the pie. Do you want to know why? Because if you own a slice, then you have to be nice. As soon as you own a part of the problem, then you're a part of the problem. And we don't want to be a part of the problem. We want to blame it on them. We want them to own it. And Paul says, stop talking about them. This is about you. As far as it depends on you. It is always your job to live at peace. And then if they will not reconcile, then you're released. If they will not come to peace with you, then you are released. But you make every effort, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. That you can have peace about the relationship, even if there's never peace in the relationship. My friend Kevin Oder explains this scripture like this. Think about if you're playing tennis with somebody else and you have just this bucket of hundreds of balls, tennis balls. He says, what this looks like is your side of the court is completely clean as far as it depends on me. Even if there is 100 tennis balls on the other side of the court, even if it is full of tennis balls, your side is completely clean as far as it depends on me. That when I give this equation, you plus whoever equals conflict, You probably have somebody. And the reason that you think about them is because there is no peace. And Jesus actually addresses the process of conflict resolution. What do you do when someone has wronged you? And what do you do when you have wronged someone else? Now listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you're off the hook on this. Okay, You don't have to follow this because this doesn't apply to you. 
But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a command from Jesus. That this is something that Jesus commands us to do. And the first thing that we're going to look at in Matthew 18 is what you do when someone has wronged you. Here's what Jesus says. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you. Jesus is addressing when someone has sinned against you, someone has hurt you. They've lied about you. They've lied to you. And here's how we like to fill this in. If your brother or sister sins against you, share it with someone as a prayer request. Now, when we do this in our small group or we do this with our friends, we go, you know, I, I, I need to share a prayer request about Tom. Now, you know Tom because he goes to church here at the, at the crossing. So we all know Tom, right? Well, I hear he's been kind of a jerk at work lately and... I think he's drinking again. I'm pretty sure he has a gambling problem. And so I'm just telling you so we can all pray for Tom. Like, why do we do that? This is something that we do in the Christian circles, and it's just weird. Or maybe this is the way that you would feel in this scripture. You know, if your brother or sister sins against you, vaguely post about it on social media. (laughs) You know this person who puts out the tweet that says, Don't you hate it when people don't listen to you? Hashtag ball and chain. I mean, we all know who they're talking about. We all know. And here is the curse of social media. Because what we do with social media, what so many people do, is they handle conflict in this passive-aggressive way. They put it out there as if to be very vague about it, but everybody knows. It's it's one of the curses that we have of trying to to manage relationships for everybody to see, so everybody can see them. Well, this is what Jesus really said. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. That when there is a broken relationship, Jesus says, doesn't say wait a week or two. He doesn't say stew on it for a month or so. He doesn't say hope that it's all going to go away by itself. Jesus says when there is any kind of a breakdown in any kind of relationship, you are supposed to go just between the two of you. And when you do this, they may not ask for forgiveness. They may not admit that they've done anything wrong. They may not own their portion of it, but Jesus tells us that it is our responsibility as followers of Christ to go. So let me ask you, who do you need to go to? See, they may not even know that they've hurt you, but you've been carrying this around and you've been rehearsing what you're going to say because they hurt you. And you couldn't say the right thing at the time, but now you have it. I mean, if they say the key word, if whatever it is, I mean, you are ready to let them have it because you've now rehearsed your response. You have it ready to go. That is what Jesus says if someone has wronged you, that you are to go to them. But what about for the people that you have wronged? When you have wronged someone, what should you do? Well, Jesus addresses this in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is is the greatest greatest sermon that Jesus gave. It's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he talks about all kinds of relationships that we have. He talks about our responsibility. He talks about our relationship with people and our relationship with God. 
And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 23. He says, therefore, and the reason that he says therefore is he's responding to what he's just said about being angry with your brother. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar. Now, Jesus mentions the altar. There is only one altar. It was in Jerusalem. And the Jewish people, they would make these epic journeys to Jerusalem every year to go to the altar. They would go and make a sacrifice for their sins for the past year. So once a year, they would go down and they would make this sacrifice at the altar. In order to connect with God, they had to make things right with God. Jesus says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Now notice, this is different from what he said in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, he says, if your brother or sister has sinned against you. But now he says, if your brother or sister has something against you. In Matthew 18, what do you do when it's their fault? In Matthew chapter 5, in this case, what do you do when it's your fault? Well, the answer is the same. Jesus tells us the same thing. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come back and offer your gift. Well, the listeners who were listening to Jesus teach this, they would have gasped, no way. Leave your gift in front of the altar? You've got to be kidding. This would be like if my wife and I were planning a trip to Hawaii, that we've planned it all year long, that we wait for the right plane tickets and we get the right plane tickets and then we keep working for the right deals and to try to get all of the right deals and then we pick a place that we're going to stay and and the place always looks better in the pictures than it is when you actually get there, but that's a different story for a different message. We've made all of these plans all year long. And then it comes to the day that we're going to go to Hawaii. So we get to the airport. We check in through security. We go and and they call our name and it's going to be the name of whoever's sitting in the back of the airplane. And so we get on there and we're going on to the jetway. And right there I stop and I say, "I, I can't get on the plane. And Darla says, what do you mean you can't get on the plane? Did you forget something? No, I remember that your mom is mad at me. Shane, my mom is always mad at you. Get on the plane. (laughs) That's what this would be like. Now, I'm just kidding about that because my mother-in-law is actually watching right now. And so I just want to say she loves me and I love her. She really is the best mother-in-law of all time. But see, all the people who are listening to this, they would have thought, Jesus, that is a ridiculous example. That is a ridiculous example. And if in your mind you're going, okay, well, that just seems ridiculous, then you're beginning to get the point. Because before you make things right with God, you have to make things right with others. And maybe the reason that you came to church today, and maybe the reason why you make this a regular pattern of your life is because you want to connect with God. You want to to grow in your relationship with God. And what Jesus is saying is he says, Don't worry about this right here until you've done this right here. Don't worry about this relationship 
until you've made this relationship right. And Jesus gives the same answer. He says, you go and be reconciled. It doesn't matter who's wrong. You don't have to assess the blame. You don't have to wait until you're ready. You don't even have to pray about it. Just go. When someone has wronged you, you go. And when you've wronged someone else, you go. And Jesus says, you go and be reconciled. This word reconciled means to make things right. Because the goal is peace. To live at peace with everyone. And I know what some of you are thinking. I know the pushback here. Because some of you are thinking, you know, that's crazy. I mean, what you're saying, that is absolutely crazy. That's not going to work. Because Shane, you don't know about my relationships. It's just not going to work that way. Let me tell you, is the way that you're dealing with conflict now, is it really working? What if we begin to apply the teachings of Jesus to our life? And decided that we were going to be the initiators of peace. Well, here's the bottom line. Here's this principle for today. Is that a conflict requires a conversation. That's it. That's what Jesus taught us. That a conflict requires a conversation. So here's the question I want you to wrestle with. Who do you need to go to? Who needs a phone call? Who do you need to invite for a cup of coffee? Who do you need to write a letter to? Here is how you do this. Here is how you do this. The first thing that you do is you go immediately. You go immediately. In some situations, you may need to cool off so that you don't say the wrong thing. In some situations, you may need need to step back and to assess this. But for others, some of you, you need to do this today. You need to go today. Don't put it off. Don't say, well, I'll get over it. They'll get over it, and we'll just move on. Because it's bothering you, and it is not going to go away. You go immediately. The second thing is you go directly. You go directly. Oftentimes, when we're upset, we tell everyone else but that person. I mean, we want everyone to know what they've done to us and how they've hurt us, how they've wronged us. So where do you start? You start by telling them what you've been saying about them. That's where you start. You start by telling them the hurt that you've been trying to tell everybody else to get them on your side. If we would take the energy that we use to to go after that person and use that same energy to go and reconcile with that person, it would make all the difference in the world. And some of you fear, well, the relationship may never be the same. It may not break the relationship. It might actually strengthen the relationship. You go directly to that person. You keep it just between the two of you. And then here's the last thing, is you go humbly. You go humbly. We don't say, well, I'm sorry that that offended you. You know, or or, I'm sorry that you overreacted. I'm sorry if you found that offensive. See, that's not an apology. That's blaming someone else. Keep in mind, you may not be right. You may be the one who is wrong, and you need to own your part of this. Here's how I usually try to do this. I usually just try to do this by saying to somebody, are we okay? That's how I start. I just want to know, are we okay? A couple years ago, I was in a meeting And it got heated. 
I mean, right in the middle of the meeting, it was heated. I was trying to argue for my side, and they were trying to argue for their side, and it got uncomfortable. We were around this conference table, and everybody's just watching the two of us kind of go after each other. And then we resolved it, and we moved on. But as we got into our cars, the first thing I did is I called him on the phone. I said, hey, I just want to know if we're okay. Because if I said something I shouldn't have said, I just want to apologize for that. Are, are we okay? He goes, absolutely, we're okay. And that's where it starts. But for me, to be honest with you, I don't always want to do that. Because I would prefer to build a case on why I am right and the other person is wrong. And I would rather for them to come to me and humbly admit how wrong they are. And so I can say, well, I told you so. Yeah, that's exactly the way I told you. But it doesn't bring reconciliation. So here's the goal. Here's the goal. It is you plus whoever it is in your life to be at peace. It's to live at peace with everyone. That is the goal of our relationships. Is that whoever it is that you would be at peace, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It may not be possible. After you do everything that you can do, it may not be possible. And if it's not, you're released. But as far as it depends on you, you live at peace. As far as it depends on you, you make sure your life, your side of the court is completely clean. So you can have peace about the relationship even if there's never peace in the relationship. And what God has done for you and for me is God made peace with us. God sent Jesus to die on the cross to make peace with you and me. And now God is saying, now it is your responsibility, it's your job to live at peace with each other. And what I have found is that making peace with others clears the path for making peace with God. For some of you, you may feel like there is, there is this barrier between you and God that you can't completely connect with God. Maybe it's because there is a barrier between you and somebody else, and until that is cleared away, you're not going to be right with God. So who are you dreading having a conversation? When I talk about this, who are you dreading going to? You go. You go immediately. You go directly. You go humbly. Your peace depends on it. Your peace depends on it. I want to pray. But as I pray for you, Maybe what you need to do is maybe you just need to talk to God about who this person is in your life. Who this person is that, that maybe you need to make right. You just need to go and just say, are we okay? Are we okay because I want to make things right? Because this is God's intention. This is your responsibility as a follower of Jesus.